You're listening to the How and Steve English podcast, a comfy place to talk about all the great and not so great parts of teaching ESL abroad. I'm Steve, and I'm here with Keith Casey. Hello there. Keith is a Jolly Phonics certified trainer, and he's going to talk to us about how he ended up teaching ESL abroad and the next part of his career as a certified trainer. So stay tuned. Um, before we dive into this interview, let me shamelessly plug HowandSteveEnglish.com. We've got some really cool resources available right now on our website. So if you go to HowandSteveEnglish.com and check out our blogs, you'll be able to find a bunch of free card games, board games, and different activities that we've made. And this is October, so we should have a lot of great stuff coming out for Halloween. So go there, check it out, save a lot of time on your Halloween material. And if you like that free stuff, we'd really appreciate you joining our monthly program. It's $9.99 a month, and with your contributions, we'll be able to make a lot more awesome stuff. All right, Keith, how's it going? Not too bad. How about yourself? Not so bad. Um, usually, we start these interviews by asking, you know, the general question, so I figured I'd go for that today as well. All right, sounds good. So where are you from originally? Uh, born and raised in Michigan in the United States, but I've adopted the Seattle area as my home, lived there for a couple of years. I uh, came out to Vietnam three weeks after I graduated from university, and I've been out here since 2009, so a little over 10 years now. Wow. I think going to Vietnam in 2009 was a bit of a strange choice as far as the expat ESL teachers go. Yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to know people, um, friend of a friend. She was married to Vietnamese. They were hiring for their language center in Da Nang, Vietnam, central Vietnam. And uh, so two weeks before graduating, I had a Skype interview with them. Uh, we hit it off, and I'm a certified teacher as well, studied education. And uh, I was actually considering Korea first, just because they always say the money's better over there. Uh, but then through this personal connection, they offered me a job, and uh Three, I didn't even have a passport yet. I got a passport, and then three weeks after graduating, I found myself in Vietnam. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, I don't look back at all. This is where I'm at, where I want to be, and I love every minute of it. So what were those first days and weeks like in Vietnam? Uh, initially, super exciting. Then I arrived at the Singapore airport in a room with no windows, a little hotel room for a few hours. And I immediately regretted every decision I made. I said, what am I doing? I can't get a hold of anyone. No one knows that I'm even in Singapore right now. What did I get myself into? Uh, but then as soon as I actually set foot in Vietnam, uh, it was that high again. I just absolutely loved it. It was crazy seeing motorbikes everywhere and um, just people everywhere, traffic never stops, and it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And uh, the first few years are quite good. I, I learned a lot. The, the owner of the language center that I worked for, he had studied in America. He had a master's in uh, English as a foreign language, and so I learned a lot from him. And then after working with him for about two years, I moved up to Hanoi, where I live now, and I kind of took everything I learned from him and uh, applied it to my work up here. And that's how I kind of got to where I am today. So a lot of our listeners are familiar with academies in Korea, China, and Japan. And they're not really familiar with learning centers or academies and the structure of these education centers in different countries. Could you tell us a little bit of what a typical learning center or academy in Vietnam is like? What's the schedule? How many times a week? What type of books? What type of resources you had? Sure. Uh, now, I don't know how much I'm repeating because there may be a lot of similarities. I think, what do you call it? You call them hagwons over there. Um, I think there's some similarities, but I'll just kind of share with you the different environments. So if you're looking to come over to Vietnam and teach English as a foreign language, one option is to work in a public school through a recruiting agency. Basically, you teach about 30 to 40 kids in a classroom at once. You have a TA who plays on their phone the whole time and doesn't help you. And uh, you basically babysit 40 kids, um, 45 minutes at a time. You might do like five or six 45-minute blocks a day. Uh, it's pretty good money. The benefit is it's a lot of hours, but it's absolutely crazy. Headaches every day. You're tired. Um, they run you all over. They don't pay you to travel. They, you don't work at one place. They usually run you to multiple places. So that's public school life. Then you get into the um, 
if you're lucky enough, you might get into what they call an international school. Uh, in Vietnam, most of them are not real international schools. They just have international in their name to draw people in. But uh, they basically, you go in there and you teach English, and it's pretty good money. Um, lower salary overall, but some benefits and a nicer schedule, and it's daytime hours, which a lot of people love. Then you get into the um, language center, or some people might call them cram centers, depending, or hagwon type work, which is, uh, I, I own one of those centers. Uh, I like to think we do it the right way, though. And basically, that's in the evening, uh, Monday through Friday, um, Monday through Saturday, uh, and even Sundays as well. Uh, basically, you're working uh, anywhere from, say, 4.30 to 10 o'clock at night. Um, but you're getting paid the best hourly rates. You're getting paid uh, anywhere from $22 to $25 an hour, which is $25 an hour is kind of the top money you make in Vietnam as an English language teacher. Um, they can be fun. You basically have a book, like an English textbook. We use our Discovery Island lately over here. And basically, you teach two pages out of that for an hour and a half. Uh, but depending where you go, it's a completely different experience. If you go to your typical language center, the teachers don't have to lesson plan, which I don't like. Um, they just hand you this, you teach it. They don't care what you do. They don't care about anything. Um, parents pay money, school makes money, everyone's happy. Um, and there are the occasional good center that does things differently, but they're harder to find. That's a great way to sum everything up, and that sounds really, really familiar um, <laughs> to the way things are run, in South Korea at least. Now, I heard recently someone compare the recent education boom in Vietnam to kind of like the big hagwon boom in the 90s in South Korea. Um, I, I wasn't here for either of them, so where I wasn't in Vietnam, I'm not in Vietnam now, and I wasn't in South Korea then. But from what I heard, it was just like, oh, anybody's, anybody is opening up a hagwon. It was like an investment opportunity for older people retiring. Um, so they were just opening the academy and there was suddenly a lot of money in the market and parents were just sending their kids there without checking. Are you seeing a lot of that? Uh, absolutely. That's how it all started. Um, and that's why nobody does anything differently or uh, new or unique because if, it, if it's not broke, why fix it, right? Um, and unfortunately, the vast majority of language center owners, they are in it for the money. They don't care about the education. Um, most of the time, they have money. Somebody else has the paperwork that's required. So they work together and make money. Um, one example is a local school nearby us. Uh, they, have a, they have an owner with a lot of money. They have a person with the paperwork, but they didn't check any of the other boxes so when uh, they recently got checked, they had to pay quite a hefty fine, um, but they didn't even care because it's just part of their business model. So um, yeah, that happens all the time. Now, recently, what I have seen though is that parents do care a lot. There's a lot more smart parents around and they are checking, they are checking certificates. They are asking what are the teacher qualifications. So myself, I opened up my language center about almost three years ago now. And I started with the traditional model. Here's a book. Let's teach two pages. I just wanted to teach it in the best way that I could. But parents, rightly so, said, hey, you know what? We've been doing this forever. My kid's been doing this five years. They can't speak English out of this book. Like if you're in the book, okay, they're great. But if you close that book and you look at them face to face and try to talk, they can't speak. They said, Keith, you are an educated teacher. You're certified please give us something we can get behind. Please something, give us something that can actually help us. And um, that's something I thought I would never hear. I was just trying to toe the line between keeping parents happy, but very, very slowly introducing professional education. I never thought they would give me a green light to do anything I wanted, um, but they did. So basically we threw out the entire model and just to share a little bit about what my language center does, we, uh, now that I'm a certified Jolly Phonics trainer, we require phonics and reading before you take any other subjects at our language center. So older kids learn all 42 sounds in the English language in three months. The younger kids learn it in six months. After Jolly Phonics, we developed a reading program. It's uh, for the younger kids, it's eight months. For the older kids, it's three months. After phonics and reading, they can take our other subjects. 
Originally, we had it kind of like an a la carte where you could choose that you wanted, but they said, Keith, we want guidance. We want a plan. We want you to take us from beginning all the way to overseas study. So we developed what I call a pathway to success. So we do phonics to reading, reading to writing, writing to speaking, speaking back to two levels of writing. We have a STEM class, science, technology, engineering, math, and then we have like TOEFL and IELTS prep. And actually to this day, Currently, we don't even have a traditional ESL or EFL class in our building. We've burned those books and we haven't seen them in years. Wow, that's incredible. So do you guys create your own material then for each class besides the Jolly Phonics books? Like any good teacher, uh, we borrow, modify and create. So basically, for example, in our reading program, there's an excellent series called Ladybird Readers. Um, they are very well organized. They're based on the CEFR, you know, uh, language scale. And uh, they have really good organization. They focus on different sounds. So we found this book in Vietnam because it's really hard to get any textbooks into Vietnam. So we have to work with what we can find here. We found these books and then we developed a program based on the books. So the book is just the vehicle, but we, we create all the parts ourselves. Uh, we create the timeline, we create how many classes, what's expected, what kind of assessment do we want to do. For the writing, same thing, we have a writing book, but we've added and tweaked and modified to make it be something that we can be proud of. And then speaking as well, sometimes we use um, like Teachers Pay Teachers, uh, we buy a curriculum off of there, like we have a character education program as well. We bought that off Teachers Pay Teachers, and then we just use and modify that. So for all your subjects, I'm curious, do you range from elementary school up to high school or where do you cut off? Uh, our, our marketed age is roughly four to 15 years old. Oh, so you do kindergarten as well? Yes. Yep. Actually, uh, I don't let kids in younger than four uh, because those are the ones that parents just drop them off to be babysat. And they don't, they can't control their bladder. They pee all over the floor. They scream, they vomit all over, whatever. So uh, we do make exceptions. I tell parents, you know, every parent thinks their kid is a genius. And we've had, I would say, three students who have come to us and said, hey, the parents have said, my kid is three and a half, but they're absolutely brilliant. And after vetting them and checking them and telling them they're almost certain to fail if the parents don't get involved, uh, they still agree, and those three kids are rock stars now. They've mastered phonics, they've mastered reading, and they're doing a fantastic job. But primarily, um, our four-year-olds come in, and they do, we call it a My Little Phonics program, and basically, they're just learning the sounds. They're not reading, they're not blending, they're just learning the sounds, they're learning some basic conversational English color shapes, and then when they show us that they can follow a schedule, control their bladder, um, not scream all the time, can sit down and focus, then we invite them to a six-month phonics program at the age of about four and a half or five years old, depending, or six, as late as six, and then they do phonics for six months. Um, the older kids skip that My Little Phonics stage, and they jump right into a three-month phonics program. When you do phonics, how much singing, dancing, and and uh, resources and tools and manipulatives do you use in class for those young kids? Uh, it really, of course, depends on age and teacher preference. Um, I'm kind of proud to say that what we've developed, you don't require a lot. Now, to say you don't require a lot doesn't mean you shouldn't use um, fun things or colorful things or catchy things, but the good news is you don't have to buy a bunch of stuff to get started. There's a very low bar of entry in terms of resources. So I write my sounds on the board. Um, I have, you know, a little magnetic finger that spins around on the board for games. Um, I have Montessori letters, like the red and blue plastic Montessori letters. We use those to practice spelling and making words. I have some light boxes, boxes that are translucent. You turn the lights off in the room, turn the boxes on, they shine through the letters. Just very small touches that keep the interest of the students. And really, that's, that's all you need. I do a lot of singing. Jolly Phonics, the, the heart and soul of Jolly Phonics is the songs and the actions and the stories, especially the songs and the actions. All of the songs are based off of old nursery rhymes and things. So they're really easy as a teacher to remember the tune and to remember the words. 
And um, every single class, we are we are doing like rhythmic clapping, uh, working through the sounds rhythmically. You know, tapping on them a certain number of times. The kids copy. We're reviewing all of our Jolly Phonics songs and actions together. There's a lot of、um, acting, like when you're miming out the actions that make the sounds. And so, you mentioned that you've been running this academy for three years. At what point in that academy、um, process did the parents come to you and ask you to change everything?、Uh, well, basically, we got we went to America for three years. My wife is Vietnamese, and we went to get her citizenship over there before we came back. So, the moment we came back,、um, I immediately started managing an international kindergarten during the day, and I opened up classes at my house at night. That was probably the summer of 2016, and、um, I I started teaching these 12 kids in my kitchen, and I taught them for I would say about、uh, a year, and then in April 2017 we officially opened up my language center, and so、um, when we first opened they were happy. But I had one mother in particular that is just fantastic. She's a great supporter. She loves her children dearly. She's well educated, and she said, "Hey,、um, what you're doing is great, but I want to see more. I want to see more." And she really challenged me. The cool thing is, though,、uh, Vietnamese people, especially in Hanoi, are famous for being two faced. They tell you they love you, but then they quit the next day and they never come back.、Uh, this was a rare gem in that she really pushed me, challenged me. She gave me constructive criticism and said, "I want you to be better." So, about six months into this,、uh, it would have been October 2017.、Uh, I had just been sent to Malaysia to do my Jolly Phonics training as a teacher, and when I came back, she didn't know that I trained in phonics, and she said, "Hey, I want you to know, phonics is the next big thing. People are starting to talk about it. I think you should do it." And I said, "Well, I just got back from this training." Let's do something. So I immediately developed a program, and her children were kind of my test children.、Uh, had it, her and her group. Basically, I'm sure you can relate.、Uh, in Vietnam, it's it's all about parents, and we call it the phu huynh. It's the parent group. There's a head of the parent group, and if they're happy, most parents are happy. If they're angry, most parents are angry. So she was the leader of that first twelve students I had. And、um, when we moved into my center, I said, okay. I'll give you guys a big discount if you can get people to join us. Ten percent for every person that joins. She led that charge. She brought us double the students. We opened up with fifty, and then she said, "Keith, I think you should do phonics." So I developed a program. Her daughter went through it. She loved it. The mom loved it, and we just kept tweaking and tweaking. But about six months into opening the school is when they said, "Hey, we want to see some big changes." That's incredible. I think. Um, we have an academy group here in Korea on Facebook, and it's just a bunch of stories and a bunch of advice and a bunch of tips and tricks. And basically, there's an undergoing current for new hagwon owners, new academy owners, is be wary of any deals from moms. Any moms who are coming with you with like a request for modifying your class in exchange for referrals or、um, give me a discount, I'll get you ten referrals because it never seems to really work out. But that's incredible that that worked out so well for you. Yeah, well, basically, she had already been doing this in her house. She was hiring backpackers to teach the children in her neighborhood, and it was the best that she could come up with. So when I moved into the neighborhood, she、um, she was excited but also nervous because she was giving us her babies. You know, all these children that she was responsible for,、um, she was passing them to us, and she wasn't doing it for the money. She was doing it for the education of the neighborhood children, and of course, her her daughter and son. So we really lucked out to find such a supportive mom, and to this day, her daughter、uh, has taken all of our programs. She's almost at the end of the pathway now, and、um, she just loves everything we do. But she's never afraid to speak up and tell us when we're wrong. That's incredible. So you mentioned that you've got a really amazing phonics program based on Jolly Phonics, and you work all the way up to age fifteen. And is there a, a scale or a A proficiency goal B one or B two or A one or A two for the kids when they're finished with your school. For us, it would be B two level. It's really what we're trying to get if they start with us in elementary school. 
Uh, that is a complicated question for me, not to take away any credibility from myself, but um, I approach this from the context of being a certified teacher. So, whoops, one second here. Okay, I approach this from the context of being a certified teacher. So, I studied education. I'm certified grades six through twelve. I taught in America for a number of years. Um, so that's the the angle that I approach it from. For better or for worse, I don't care about all of those B1, C1, A2, C3, whatever. I know what they mean. I know what they're for. Everybody loves advertising the Cambridge program here in Vietnam, and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But for me, once they gave me the green light, I just said, "Man, what would I want my kid to study? What would I want my children to do?" So, I mean, basically, the way I look at it is, okay, phonics. The goal is that. They master all 42 sounds, and they can read hundreds of words, and they should have an 85% proficiency. And we test them. We make videos of them reading these words. We put them on YouTube unlisted, and we send them to parents so they can watch. And then when they get into reading, the goal is that again we have a four-three-two-one rubric. You know. Uh, 90%, 80%, 70%, lower than 70%, and I want an 80% proficiency in reading skills. Once they finish reading, we go to writing, and it's the same thing. I've just created all these four, three, two, one rubrics. So in some ways, I run it just like you would in an American classroom, as far as expectations and proficiency and where we expect them to be at. That's really interesting that you mentioned Cambridge exams are really popular in in Vietnam because that's kind of what's trying to happen in South Korea. Is、um, one of our buddies. Owns a Cambridge test center, but it's really,、uh, it's doing really well in the bigger cities. I think, in my experience out here in the countryside, there's just this idea of cram schools and worrying about middle school tests and high school tests. And I'm curious in Vietnam, what do the moms want out of English? Is it for real life, or is it just for middle school and high school and university tests? That's a great question.、Um... And and it really drives a lot of what you do, and this is why you cannot just open up a language center or like a hagwon and do whatever you want. Because if you have the coolest idea and the most unique thing you've ever seen, you'll fall flat on your face because the parents don't want new. The parents still need guidance to meet their goals. So you have to find that middle road to help them, but also introduce them to new and exciting things. So. I would say that you have, of course, as you know, a group of parents that just want a babysitter, so they send them to centers because they're cheap and they babysit. Okay, fine, done.、Um, the ones that care, they want their children to be able to pass like a TOEFL Junior. Basically,、um, you know, education in Vietnam is is not great. Everybody knows that. So if you get a good score on like a TOEFL Junior or a similar test, you can kind of get into the school of your choice, the public school of your choice. Uh, and then, as you get older,、uh, of course, they want to pass their IELTS and their TOEFL,、uh, so they can either work for an international company or study overseas. So the way we've kind of、um, approached this, initially, we lost a lot of those students. They would take a class with us; they love it; they think it's so much fun. But the parents view it as a waste of money because it doesn't help them towards their goals. It, it's more of a distraction or takes up their time. So we actually hired a professional Vietnamese teacher from a well-respected school, and she comes in and teaches intensive grammar courses to prep our students to get into the school of their choice. And most of her students are also taking one of our other programs. So they're taking our fun ones, as I would put it, but they're also taking this one with a Vietnamese teacher that's going to help them meet their goals. And what age range is that again? Those children that are doing that are roughly seven、um, to twelve years old. Wow, it starts really young then. Yeah, yeah. We have the same thing, but mostly for middle school here. Yeah. So, I'm really interested in asking you so many different questions, but I'll start with questions about the academy. A lot of our listeners are academy owners or aspiring academy owners, and I think the two most popular countries for us. Uh, are definitely Korea, but actually, surprisingly, number one is Japan. And so, I was curious about、um, if you could talk about expenses and revenue and profit. If you could kind of imagine 
which country would be the best for an aspiring academy owner to enter and then without having a foot in the door so without having a korean spouse i would really not recommend anybody come to korea to open academy <laughs> but i'm seeing a lot of korean academy owners so ethnically korean you know their nationality is korean go to vietnam and open up study rooms or academies as well so i was just wondering what would you recommend what do you think has the best profit and if you could share any anecdotes about um that lifestyle yeah well i'll i'll answer that kind of by sharing my story i suppose um with the caveat that you can never do it the same way twice and um we got quite lucky along the way and um yeah a lot of different things happen to to end up where we are but basically um you know in asia uh, especially vietnam there are a lot of gray areas Um, so you just do things and you wait for someone to come yell at you and then you say, okay, what do you want me to do? And then you go do those things. So, um, first of all, I need to make very clear, you should not be coming to any country and opening a school if all you care about is money and you have no experience. So let's just get those people out of here. So that's my first thing. Um, this is for people who truly care about education and they want to make a living financially, but they also want to make a difference. Uh, coming to Vietnam, I opened up in my house and then I just said, Hey, let's open up a school. So we, we rented out a building and there was no legal requirements. Initially we opened up and, um, we had heard rumors like, Oh, if you don't hang up a sign, then no one can come in. So again, we just kind of operated waiting for the day that someone knocked on the door and said, Hey, you're not in compliance. You need to do something. Um, But kind of before that happened, we applied for a license as a, uh, LTD or a limited liability educational company. Um, it's kind of a legal gray area. We're not a school, we're not a center, but we, we operate under this, um, this license as an English, um, company, uh, uh, language company. And then after about a year and a half, um, some other people knocked on the door and they said, Hey, it's time to start complying. So we called up our lawyer and we just said, what needs to be done? And he said, you need to get your paperwork in order. You need to have people with high education in certain positions, like a master's in anything. It wasn't just language. And once you have your paperwork in order, we, uh, you submit your curriculum to the Department of Education and Training. So we had to, we had, keep in mind, we developed our own curriculum and we, we made everything ourselves, except for the books, of course. So it was a little complicated because they'd never seen anything like that before. Usually people just buy, you know, the curriculum in a box and they say, this is what we're teaching. So we worked closely with our lawyer. We put together a package. We took it to the Department of Education and Training. They looked over it. They approved it. We had to have the local fire department come and write a fire, a fire code for our building, like how to evacuate if anything happens. We had to get fire extinguishers in the building. We had to check all of these boxes. And then um, once we did all that, we finally got approval um, to be a, a fully licensed and approved by the Department of Education and Training Language Center. So um, that took a long time to get there. And we took a very strange route to get there with a lot of bumps and problems along the way. Well, that's amazing. I think you might be the most positive person to open up an academy because you take everything as a challenge and you take everything as just a, an opportunity. Um, well, I try, to, I try to rely on the fact that I think it's easy to see when you meet us that we truly care about education above everything else. And I would like to think that even, even the most complicated officials in Vietnam can see through that mess and they can see our heart and say, oh, these people are legit. Maybe I'll be a little nicer to them. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, basically, we just... We took our love for education. We took the little bit of experience we had. We just poured everything we had into it. And, um, and we just worked hard. And we had a lot of supportive families, supportive parents, and supportive people along the way. That's great. How do you stay positive when you live in that kind of gray area where you may see competitors across the road completely ignoring laws, but you know that maybe you'll be attacked or you'll be prosecuted if you don't follow those same laws. How do you navigate that tricky, stressful area? 
Well, that is、um, a complicated <laughs> question. First of all,、uh, I must say、um, my wife and I were both Christians, and we do everything we do with a lot of purpose. So a big part of it is our personal faith, and we just hold on, believing that this is where we're supposed to be. This is where God wants us to be.、Um, now, on a more、um, straightforward track, not talking religion.、Um, Again, we just operate like okay. This is what we would do for our kids. We're not doing anything wrong. We only ended up in a gray area because they cornered us into that area. So, like, we didn't choose to walk into this gray. This gray was dropped on us, forced upon us. You know, I'll share a little story with you. We had、uh, a Christian organization. They came and met with me in Vietnam, and they said, you know, hey, we want to work with you. We heard about you. What do you want to do? I said, let's open a center together. Um, I want to open a center, and they said, "Well, we love it. We have money." Because they said, "You know what? What do you need?" I said, "I know everything. I just don't have money." So they got me a grant for twenty-seven thousand dollars, and I told them, "I said, listen, the the only problem we're going to have is there's gray areas in Vietnam, and we always try to do things legally, but sometimes you just have no choice, and you're in these gray areas. Do you understand that we might have to do that sometimes?" And they were in my kitchen, and they said, "Yes, we understand." They sent me six thousand dollars to pay rent for a year in the building, and then four months later, they said, "Hey, how are the work permits coming along?" And I said, "Remember those gray areas? We can't get them for you yet through us, but I know where to get them. Just like ninety-nine percent of the other people get them." They cut me off overnight. They left me seventeen thousand dollars in debt, and they they just disappeared、um, because they weren't comfortable with the gray areas that I had already warned them about. So, talking about faith and luck and all kinds of stuff, the builder of our school—he built our house. Also, he he built the school knowing that this money was coming. So when it didn't come, we were so afraid to talk to him. And he said to us, "Look, don't worry, we'll make a deal." So he made us a really generous repayment plan, and、um, we worked our butts off in the first year that we were open, and we cleared all of our debt. We cleared over about—it was total like thirty thousand dollars. We cleared that in a year. And、um, it was it was really messy. It was really complicated. So one is when you've just when you really care about it and you have to do it to survive or you're going to die. Basically, you find a new level of of work ethic and energy to get it done. And when it's your own center, obviously you're that much more motivated. And after about a year, we were able to clear these big gray areas. Now, finally. Yeah, initially I cared a lot about our competition, and I was like, "Oh no, what are they doing? What are they doing?" But slowly we started to see people come from these bigger language centers, quit them, and come to our center because what we're doing is working. And the other, finally, the biggest thing for me is I've always told my wife, I said, "I don't want to franchise, no matter what. I have zero interest in ever franchising our center. If we can run one center well." We'll have more money than we ever know what to do with as a family. The kids will have a great education, and our attention doesn't have to be distracted and split between multiple locations. So I will train people. I'll help them do kind of what we're doing, but I have no interest in franchising. So by keeping it small, staying focused on what we're doing, finally we're at a point where we don't have to care about these other centers operating in these gray areas. We believe in what we're doing. It's been tried and tested and true, and、um, we haven't stopped growing since the day we've opened. So we just believe in in that success. Terrific. Which、um, so when I talk to Korean Academy owners, they tell me typically for them to run and operate, they charge between two hundred thousand and three hundred thousand won per month. And I guess that's about two hundred dollars to three hundred dollars a month, and that's kind of the average for what Korean moms are willing to spend, and that's anywhere from four to eight hours a week of class time. And for teachers here and aspiring hagwon owners or aspiring academy owners, that's kind of really their goal. What they really would love to do and what they love to accomplish is to move from being employed in those centers to being the owner of a place like that. So, for our Vietnam or our listeners who are living in Vietnam, what should they set their goals for tuition to be? 
and what should they set their goals for class sizes to be? Could you tell some advice to anybody looking to open an academy in Vietnam? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically, we are a very inexpensive center. Um, we operate with the idea that we don't want money to ever get in the way of people studying with us. Uh, we want to pay our teachers well. We want to, as a family, we want to make enough money to take care of ourselves, but we don't want to just work for money. So um, we are considerably cheaper than than similar schools, even yeah, anyone in the in the same market. But essentially, we charge five million five hundred thousand for a course, and a course is three months. It's twenty four lessons. They meet two times a week for a total of three hours. Um, so one course, twenty four lessons. They're five and a half million. Uh, two two point three million is a hundred dollars. So that's about um, a little over two hundred dollars, two hundred and fifty dollars for three months. Basically. A child is paying roughly ten dollars for every class that they uh, every class that they take. They're paying about ten dollars. Now, um, other centers are charging uh, three times that amount, and they're just charging uh, ridiculous amounts of money. So you could fall anywhere in between there. We do quite well um, with a with a ten dollars per child. Um, you know, five and a half million for the for the course. We do quite well. We're able to pay our teachers uh, roughly the equivalent of twenty five dollars an hour, which is the the top rate right now in Vietnam. And we have a good amount of money for our family, and everything's taken care of. Um, we're we're well into the profit. We'll put it that way. And for the teachers out there who are thinking about opening again. Um... How many hours per week is the course? Uh, like one course. So basically the, the traditional model in which I do use is two days a week, um, hour and a half each time. So three hours in a week. I operate on a, we, we open six days a week. So classes are either Monday and Thursday or Tuesday and Friday or Wednesday and Saturday. So each class has two days off in between. And at my center, we have classes from, six to seven thirty and in the evening and then seven forty to nine ten. Saturdays we do eight thirty to ten in the morning and then ten ten to eleven forty. We're closed at lunchtime. We're closed Saturday evening and closed on Sundays so we can be with the family and have family time. So one course should be twice a week, hour and a half each time. That's kind of the standard in Vietnam. Okay. Um so as we mentioned in the beginning, Keith is a certified trainer for the Jolly Phonics program. And Keith, I was wondering if you could tell us more about the program itself, and then you can tell us more about the training for the program. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, fingers crossed so we don't drop again here. Uh, I first studied Jolly Phonics in uh, October 2016, I believe. And uh, I went to Malaysia, and I went with a trainer there. And um, we had a small group, studied for two days, one day of phonics, one day of grammar came back as a certified teacher and then I've been teaching Jolly Phonics ever since then. Became a certified trainer in uh, October of um, last year and then been training all this year. So the Jolly Phonics program is, it originates from England and it is all 42 sounds of the English language and it's organized uh, in seven groups of six sounds. The letters are organized in a way that you can start reading as many words as you can as quickly as you can. So rather than working your way through the alphabet like A, B, C, D, it's in a certain order. Like group one, for example, is the letters S, A, T, I, P, N. So after group one, you can read about a dozen words. After group two, you can read about two dozen words. And then it just kind of goes up exponentially from there. And also in the Jolly Phonics program, different from other programs, you learn digraphs pretty early on, which is a combination of two sounds combining to make a new sound. And uh, so all told, you uh, learn all 42 sounds. And at the end of the program, you can read all kinds of books. And what turned you on to Jolly Phonics instead of other types of ELT or EFL? phonics programs for me it was a free trip to malaysia so when my company sent me they said we want you to get this um and i said cool free flight never been to malaysia before um but then when i i came home again the the mom i talked about earlier said oh you should do phonics so i just took what i had and i ran with it but 
I researched it later and I wanted to understand it better, especially as I was seeking to become a trainer. And the biggest thing that I discovered is number one, the popularity of the program. So um, I made this, this terrible video on YouTube, horrible audio, very echoey. And I sang all of the songs and I did all the actions for my students so they could study. And I made it for them. I only put it on YouTube because it's a free place to store as much as you would like to. And uh, within a few months, this video went fairly viral. And that one video alone monetized my YouTube page. It got me a thousand subscribers. It got me all the hours of viewing I needed. And it was then that I realized, oh my goodness, Jolly Phonics is really, really popular. So then I started uh, researching competitors and wanting to understand more. And I understood that Jolly Phonics is synthetic phonics. And then the, the biggest competitor in terms of systems or approaches is analytic phonics. So I started digging into the difference between analytic and synthetic. Finally, I found out that everyone's favorite phonics program from back in the day, Hooked on Phonics, which is still around today, is also a very successful synthetic phonics program. So I knew that I had essentially lucked out and found my way into uh, the best version of phonics there is. And you mentioned in Vietnam that phonics just recently became a trend. And that's interesting because in South Korea, I think almost every academy begins with three to six months of phonics as their entry level course. That is so, fantastic. I'm happy to hear that. So they have a lot of different books here made in the market. But I know the favorite for foreign teachers is Genki English. Yeah, familiar with that. I, I love Richard Genki English. Um, I love his energy. That dude is fantastic and he can sell you anything. He's awesome. Um, he actually took his model from Jolly Phonics. I remember him saying that before. He basically, again, like any good teacher, took something, modified it, made it his own, applied it. So his order is a little bit different and everything. And he put his own flavor into it. Um, I think he's fantastic. I haven't used his phonics program, though I've been interested in buying it. Um, but here's the biggest thing for me, just kind of speak about my feelings on any of those books. For me, when I teach phonics, it's really important that you don't teach comprehension when you teach phonics. I don't want my kids to understand any of the words we are reading. Um, they don't need to know what they mean to be able to make the individual sounds and read the words. My goal is simply to get them to read these words. So when I look at like Oxford phonics or other phonics programs, popular phonics textbooks, they've got the picture right next to the word. But we know that Asian children cram, cram, cram. So they already know what the sun is. They already know what a car is. They already know what a ball is. So if you show them a picture of the sun next to the word sun, they're going to read the word, not because they're reading the word, but because they know what the picture is. That's my problem with most phonics textbooks. That's a really great point. That's something that I see in a lot of different academies. Um, phonics, but there's a picture of a bear behind it. And there's a picture of an apple, obviously. So... That really cues up in the kid's mind what they need to say. Absolutely. The way Jolly Phonics uh, fixes that, they have a new flashcard set out. Basically, it's a picture of the sun, but instead of S-U-N under the sun, it has three black dots, each dot representing a sound in the word. So if you know that's a sun, cool. But when you touch each dot, you make each individual sound. So the first dot is s, second dot is a, uh, third dot is n, and then you can read the word without seeing the letters. And what I hear from you is basically to be trained in phonics, the teachers can really use a program that they might have access to like Genki, or they might be able to modify some program that they're stuck with at their current academy. Absolutely. Um, to me, the beautiful thing about Jolly Phonics is it's not proprietary and it's not required that you use it solely by itself. I tell people all the time, Jolly Phonics is a great supplement to any synthetic phonics program you're using. So I would have no problem telling someone, hey, you like Genki? Cool, teach Genki, but apply what you're learning in Jolly Phonics to that and your program will be even better. And you mentioned that your phonics program for older learners is three months. What is the age, the Western age for those older learners? Roughly uh, for the three month, we do again, two days a week, hour and a half each time. They're roughly seven to nine years old.
okay so for anybody who's teaching in south korea i think it also might apply to other countries but south korean age would make that i think nine to twelve years old so that would be second grade to uh i guess fourth grade and yeah so three hours a week in three months they're able to what, what's the end goal there how many words can they read by then they master basically you know you talk about asian parents and you talk about um how much how high their expectations are i found out that you know they want them to know everything you send home so i used to send home hundreds and hundreds of words the weak kids just read these the the middle kids read these the strongest kids can be challenged and read those but parents want 100 percent proficiency of whatever's sent home so what i did is i handpicked five words for every single sound so what is that and one in one group, they're able to uh, read, um, my math is what, 30, 30 sound, or sorry, 30 words per group. Those are the words that they can go home and say, look, mom and dad, I can read these words. So at a minimum, you know, there's a few hundred words that they're going home and showing mom and dad, look, I can read. But the reality is that they can read thousands of words when they're done. Um, at the end of the program, they've mastered all 42 sounds in the English language. They've also mastered all 18, uh, sorry, 17 alternative spellings. When I say 42 sounds, that also includes 18 digraphs of the English language. And at the end of the program, uh, they can read entire books of, of any subject as long as the vast majority of the words are phonetic and they're at a reading level that's equivalent with where they're at. Great. I think, as far as I remember, I think we have a small phonics program, but our phonics program really goes together with um, an EFL series called Get Smart, which is a uh, mostly speaking book. So when students join our academy, I'd love for them to do phonics first, but they do phonics and speaking at the same time. Um, and so they learn their sight words at yeah, the same time yeah. they're learning speaking. One thing that I noticed in the phonics books that teachers are using now is it really, it really goes really wild. I mean, it takes them from uh, CBC words all the way up to some really complex stuff. And I was just wondering, does Jolly Phonics continue um, past those first uh, 40-something sounds? Or where do you, where do you go after that? So Jolly Phonics is a complete program, is a, a seven-year curriculum. Now, keep in mind that Jolly Phonics is created with um, the native English speaker in mind. Jolly Phonics is not created for English language learners. So you have to modify things to fit the, the customer or the people that you are working with. Um, but ideally, what I have done is I take Jolly Phonics 42 sounds. We're reading CVC. Um, we're reading uh, all the different... Sorry, I'm tripping up over acronyms here. So CVC, CVCC, um, CVCE, which is your magic E or silent E. You know, we're able to master all of those. They master the alternative spellings, like I said, like AI says A, but also AY says A. And then uh, at the end of the program, we introduce the 72 tricky words and we start, which are sight words, and we're working our way through sight words. And then we move into reading entire books for three to eight months, depending on the age group. Where Jolly Phonics officially goes after the 42 sounds is they move into uh, Jolly Grammar, which is going over, you know, sentence structure, nouns, adjectives, verbs, and writing and uh, writing down what you're reading. Do you use anything after Jolly Phonics in your classes usually? Uh, we apply the Jolly Grammar concepts. We've morphed them to, into our reading and writing classes. So we use the techniques and we use those things again as supplements in our program. But the biggest thing for me is that um, at the time when I started, Jolly Phonics didn't have a good resource for reading. They had these storybooks, but you couldn't read them until you completed all 42 sounds. So my kids couldn't even uh, read anything until we finished the program because the books weren't specialized for each group. Now they've come out with these orange readers recently, and the orange readers, there's two for every group. So after you finish the first six sounds, you can already read two books. And after you finish the next six sounds, you can read two more books. So you could read 12 of these orange readers, uh, sorry, 14 of these orange readers at the end of that program. And then you move into your grammar. 
But grammar is really dry. And quite honestly, it's taught better by the Vietnamese teachers than it is foreigners. So to work with that, we've taken those grammar concepts and we've, um, like I said, morphed them into our reading program and our writing program. So we can t- still teach some things that we think are beneficial, but then also introduce these jolly grammar concepts. I'm so interested in um, jolly phonics from talking to you because I think in my experience, that's kind of my weak point is I don't like teaching reading and I don't like teaching writing. And I think a lot of native English teachers um, don't like teaching reading and don't like teaching writing just because for me, at least the constant fear was my director telling me my class isn't fun enough. Right. Yeah. You always try and get speaking goals and maybe some fluency goals out of your class. And there's a stigma against the native teacher doing anything but speaking and not having a fun class. Right. So for me and for everybody listening, how do we go about learning how to teach Jolly Phonics or learn to teach the Jolly Phonics way? How do we get in touch with you or how do we get in touch or find out how to get trained to be able to teach this the right way? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can go to the Jolly Phonics website. You can look up trainers in your area and you'll find a, a big list of a lot of different options. There's actually a few Korean, there's two Korean women who are certified in Korea to train in Jolly Phonics. Um, there's a couple foreigners from England, but I think one of them appears to be uh, kind of no longer active. They're doing some other things. So you have to double check with them. Of course, uh, as I said, as I mentioned to you previously, I'm hoping to come to Korea the early part of next year and to open up some trainings in Korea myself. Uh, Basically, um, they can shoot me an email. Um, The easiest email uh, is my first and last name at gmail.com. So that's Keith Tacey, K-E-I-T-H-T-A-C-E-Y at gmail.com. They can shoot me an email And I'll be happy to consult with them. And, uh, of course, I would love to train, but I'll help them find the best solution for their needs. That could be something as simple as uh, Jolly Phonics does offer a training online where you can get certified online if that's your thing. Um, Obviously, you don't get that personal touch. You don't get to interact with your trainer. You don't get to ask questions. You don't get to have hands-on. But it is a good option for some people. Uh, Otherwise, you can go attend a training. Or if anyone wants a vacation, they can fly to Vietnam as well, or I'll come to Korea. Fantastic. I'm, I'm excited to talk more about that because I think it'd be such a great opportunity yeah. for so many people here. And definitely on our, uh, on our Howland Steve English website and in our podcast and in our teacher membership program, we've got a few thousand people who I think would Excellent. really benefit. Well, what I'd recommend is that whoever you talk to about training, you need to ask some questions. Uh, just being honest, my training was not great. And I told my trainer as much. And I said, I would have liked to see more of this and more of that. And she was a bit apologetic to me. So basically, when I created my training, I, I said, okay, I'm going to create something that I would have been happy to walk away with when I finished my training. So we developed a very intensive uh, eight-hour training one day. We basically train, and I can modify down to six hours. It depends. I can cut it up however I want. But the best is the eight-hour training. It's uh, one day from usually 8.30 until 5.30. We usually finish an hour early. We have a one-hour lunch break as well. The first part is academic lecture and examples. And then the second half is all practice and hands-on they take a a 15 question written exam and then they do a practical live exam at the end where they actually have to demonstrate that they can follow the system and teach the sounds and the actions and sounding blending and reading so by the time you walk out of my course you've taken like you have real assessments that show oh i can do this and before you even step foot into my training I require you to watch um, all of my videos to learn the actions and the sounds. It's about two hours of study before you even come in. That way I can say, one, okay, you're serious about the training. You're not just blowing it off. Two, okay, you've mastered this stuff because it just makes the in-person training that much more effective. So I highly recommend that whoever you're talking to, just ask them, how are you going to assess me? Is there an assessment? Is it more informational or is it an active training? Are we going to do anything together or are you just going to lecture the whole time? Those are the kind of questions I would ask. 
the the price is $150 US. But with my training that includes lifetime access to a private Facebook group where you can ask questions. And it also includes lifetime access to a Google Drive where I create resources for phonics and you can have them for free. You just have to print them yourself. So anything that I create, anyone who's studied with me has access to them for free for a lifetime. So there's a lot of value in it beyond uh, the initial training. You can also send me videos of you in the classroom teaching it. I will watch them and give you feedback. Um, I'll even recommend a curriculum for you like, oh, I have this much time, this many days. And then I'll tell you how I might recommend teaching it given those parameters. So there's a lot of value in uh, working with me as the trainer. So yeah, I would just tell people it's about $150. Um, and then corporately, I give corporate discounts. So if you want me to train an entire school or an entire company, I'm happy to do that. Uh, I don't know about Korea and Vietnam. It's quite hard to convince the foreigners to do a Jolly Phonics training because most of them are backpackers and there's no value in it for them or they don't see the value because they're moving on in six months. So they don't care. So here in Vietnam right now, I'm focused on corporate training. There's a company called Vin, Vin School, well, Vin Group. They own like everything in Vietnam, uh, kind of like maybe Lotte or however you say that in, in Korea. Um, anyway, they own everything. So Vin School hired me one month after I got certified. And I spent the last four months training over 200 teachers throughout the country for Vin School. So love to do corporate training as well. Fantastic. And um, I think the big thing that stuck out in my mind is two hours a week or three hours a week, three months for older students, and then the same in six months for younger students. I think that's an amazing achievement um, for phonics, at least. Yeah. And, and here's that the thing. In the, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Here's the thing about that. So I started with the older kids and then I just, I'm a logical thinker. I said, okay, time to teach young kids. Let's just double it up. Let's do six months. After half of group two, which is um, maybe like eight or nine sounds, they were not sounding or they were not blending. They were sounding perfectly. They were not blending. I saw my whole school crumbling before my eyes like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And then just magically, because you trust the system and you just follow the, the procedures, magically, one by one, the kids started blending and it was unbelievable. So what I would say to anyone who's looking to teach phonics, especially Jolly Phonics, is trust the system it will work. It's like magic happening before your eyes. And I'm not just saying that, like I have hundreds of hours on YouTube of my kids testing. I have children as young as three and a half years old passing my phonics tests, and I've got video evidence of it. I wouldn't believe it myself if I did not see these videos. Now it's to the point where I have children coming from the biggest international schools in the country. They're coming to me for one-on-one -on -one phonics tutoring because they want to speed up their phonics and reading or they heard about us. You know, in Korea, I'm sure it's the same. They have centers everywhere. People don't want to go far. They want to go in their neighborhood because they're all the same. We have kids coming from more than an hour away to come see us because of our phonics program. It's not because of Keith. It's not because of me, although I do like to think I'm pretty darn good looking. It's really because the program works and it gets results and it's amazing. Terrific, terrific. Is there any last bits of wisdom that you'd like to give to any of our teachers out there? Anybody thinking about coming abroad? Anybody currently abroad just looking for some inspiring information and what to do next in their lives? Maybe they want to open an academy. Yeah, absolutely. First off, anyone who grabbed my email um, is welcome to contact me and ask questions. I don't do um, this consulting and advice for money. I'm, I just love to connect with good people who want to make a difference and then help them make this lifestyle a reality. Um, but basically, I would just tell anyone just stop messing around, stop asking questions, come out and figure it out once you get out here. Um, you know, in Asia, at least in Vietnam, you're, it's way easier to get a job when you're here and you just walk in the door, you'll have a job tomorrow. If you're trying to get a job uh, via email, you're going to get scammed like crazy. Uh, you're going to run into a lot of problems. So um, I know Korea is a bit different in that regard. It's very, very easy to come to Vietnam. Um, just do it. Ask questions later. There's a lot of good people here that are ready to help you. 
Um, you know, use Vietnam as your first point as a stepping stone into Korea or vice versa. Um, it's a great, if you, if you like education at all, if you love being with children, this is a great lifestyle. And um, yeah, don't worry too much about all the fine details. You're not the first person to ever come out here. Just come out here, experience it, and you'll love it. Keith, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure meeting you. I uh, love what you guys do. Love the website. Keep working on those amazing resources. Thanks. We'll have to get you back on again soon when you get closer to uh, your training time in Korea for Jolly Phonics. Looking forward to it. We'll be in touch. See you guys. All right. Bye-bye.